You're listening to the Pop Tart Podcast. Girls down. You already know. I just want to make people laugh. I wish we could just be uptight, normal people who drink too much. But I laugh so hard, I wet my pants. Cats, cats read our minds. Reading is what? Fundamental. I want to love and be loved. That's the goal of anybody. <laughs> Suck a dick. That's going to be a shit show. Hello. Hello. And welcome to Pop-Tarts. I'm Emily Rams. I'm Callie Watts. We're both editors of Bust Magazine in New York City. We love talking to each other about pop culture, and we love talking to you about pop culture. And today we have such a special guest. Michaela Watkins is a brilliant comic actor whose career I have followed and enjoyed ever since she started cracking me up on Saturday Night Live in 2008. When she left the show in 2009, I really missed her Ariana Huffington impression and her recurring character Angie Tempura, a celebrity gossip blogger who would show up on Weekend Update, obnoxiously slurping iced coffee and incoherently ragging on famous people, who I kind of thought was like me. In the decades since then, <laughs> she has been in so many beloved indie films and delightfully weird TV shows, including Joey Soloway's Afternoon Delight and Transparent, Nicole Holofcener's Enough Said, the acclaimed Hulu show Casual, and the Sundance hit Britney Runs a Marathon. Most recently, she's been lighting up the ensemble cast of the CBS comedy series The Unicorn, and she has a role in the upcoming horror film Werewolves Within. I'm so excited to have her on the show. Welcome, Michaela! Thank you. Thank you for such a, a warm introduction. That's so sweet. You're uh, so I, I'm so honored to be here. You have such a great roster of wonderful women on, on this show. So thank you for thank having you. me. You're so welcome. As I said in the intro, you have been involved in so many great projects for so many years. I find that you're, you're one of those actors who's constantly working. And when I mention you to people, at first they might not know who I mean, but then like the minute I pull up your face on my phone and show them your picture, they're like, oh yes, of course, I love her. She was in blah, blah, blah. And like everybody mentioned something different because you've been in so many different things. Can you give our listeners a quick and dirty overview of your origin story, where you're from, how you got into acting, and what your whole journey has been like to create the beautiful career that you have today? Oh, okay, sure. Um, um, let's see. Okay, here's a quick overview. I was born uh, in a really cold city, Syracuse, New York, where nothing ever happens. Um, but when something does happen, uh, it, it's very exciting. So like when <laughs> my mom would take me to go see Joan Rivers when she would, you know, perform at the Landmark Theum, uh, Forum, or the only other, we had one theater company, uh, Syracuse Stage, like a major, you know, sort of professional theater company. And so I would get taken there. So I, my first sort of, um, for, like the thing that sort of lit me up was Joan Rivers. And I just thought that woman is like me, except that I'm, I'm, I'm eight. I'm too young. <laughs> I don't know if I was eight, but I was way too young to be seeing Joan Rivers because she's filthy. 
And, um, <laughs> I'm, I'm but I her. laughed so hard. I wet my pants in the theater. <gasps> anyway. Oh my God. Amazing. Yeah. I was laughing so hard at her. I just loved her so much. So growing up in Syracuse, I really thought that if I was going to have a career performing, it was either going to be in classical theater or in comedy. And I think that was where sort of the die was cast. And then I went, um, I grew up a uh, very angst, angsty kid, uh, a lot of anger, <laughs> but, um, but I, that was all repressed. And I found that if I could make people laugh, boys might like me, uh, people who wouldn't normally like me might like me. And then I, I went to college, I studied theater. I went out to Portland, Oregon, um, where I did theater. And then I started doing improv theater and started really doing a lot of comedy, uh, and then started doing commercials and doing on camera stuff. And I was doing regional theater there and I got really, um, frustrated with sort of the, the breakdown, the, the gender breakdown of who gets to work and who doesn't. I was just in constant shows where there was just like 75% male cast, you know, mm-hmm. and just yeah. like a handful of roles for women. And one of them was great and the others were not that great. And I most of the time got the not that great role. And I just thought, I, I know, I know that like, I just want to make people laugh. Is that, that's all I really want to do, you know? And I enjoy doing improv here in Portland, but I, 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 I I want to be on a sitcom, but that was never sort of, that was never presented as an option when I was growing up or anything. Nobody was ever in Syracuse was like, I'm going to leave here and go be on TV. That wasn't sort of you just, nobody was filming TV. Nobody, you just didn't see that world. So it didn't seem like a possible world for me. So I just went to LA and joined the Groundlings and did more improv and sketch and then started to do TV. Yeah. And film and film, which was, you know, also wonderful. (laughs) Yeah. You know, uh, something I really admire about your career is that you're often cast as really bossy and or sarcastic women. And I find that very entertaining. And now that you say that you um, were inspired by Joan Rivers, I totally get it. Completely makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> I also come from a long line of bossy women. You know, I, like, I, I don't have any aunts or uncles. Both of my parents are only children. So I don't have oh, any wow. cousins. Yeah. No cousins, no aunts, no uncles. I, I, it's just my parents, my bossy sisters, who are older than me, I'm the youngest, and then my bossy grandparents and their bossy sisters and brothers. So, and they were like octogenarians. So it was just older bossy people. I just found so much humor in, in how they expressed themselves. And they, <laughs> I think they were like, yeah, they, that was the seed for a lot. Do you, I, I read in Wikipedia that you're Jewish. Is that right? That's right. And I'm Jewish as well. Like, do you think that there's something culturally in us that we're attracted to bossy women and like we want to see them more on TV and we want to see pop culture about that? But I love bossy yeah, women like, and I, I'm not Jewish. Right. Yeah. No, I think loving them is a non-Jewish thing. Trying, trying to, um, to manage them and try to figure <laughs> out how you're going to deal with them is a Jewish thing. So, mm. so for example... I think because I spent half my life sort of denying my Jewishness, mm. I didn't, I didn't, I wasn't, I didn't embrace my Jewishness until much older, until really kind of Joey Soloway came into my life Interesting. and, and presented it in a, in a, in a, in a different way that I'd never really looked at it before. But, but to be honest, you know, 
I, I think that I, I wish that I was more waspy. I wish we were more repressed. I wish everybody just didn't <laughs> tell you what just happened in the bathroom five minutes. Oh ago. yeah. You know, I wish, I wish like we could just be uptight, normal people who drink too much. <laughs> We've all got our lot in life. I wish you we know, could have downhill skied. You know what I mean? Like, I wish we could have Never done- have I ever, nor will I ever. <laughs> well, I haven't either. Well, I rebelled because, like I said, I really pushed against it. So I became a snowboarder for a long time. I didn't wow, tell people cool. I was Jewish. I didn't. So then those kind of characters became sort of targets of my comedy. It was almost like to... to deal with them, I, mm. I would, I would make fun of them, if you know what mm-hmm. I mean. And yeah. then I embraced it as just, just, you know, I embraced it as, as my upbringing, my, my cultural roots and probably who I'll end up being. <laughs> yeah. I'm still evolving into the old Jewish lady that I was destined to become. <laughs> I see it. I see it looming up ahead. Um, <laughs> Right now, our listeners can see you on the CBS sitcom The Unicorn, where you play a member of a group of friends who rally around their pal Wade, who's played by Walton Goggins, after his wife dies, and he's left alone raising two daughters. The show is oddly comforting to watch, especially right now, because it's this reminder of a time when we could have really close friendships where we actually visited our friends and saw them in person at each other's houses and hugged them and ate food with them and nobody had to wear masks and socially distance. I'm so curious what it's like for you having made this slice of life show all about friendship that is now no longer reflective of anybody's lives, but we wish that it was. (laughs) You know, it's so funny. I I just was talking to my makeup. We're shooting right now and my makeup artist said that that her good friends have been who this isn't a sh- like they never thought they'd be watching a CBS sitcom. Really, uh-huh. they just didn't think that was their their flavor, and they've all been watching it and loving it because they said, you know, they watch these other shows that make them lose all all hope in mankind <laughs> in, a way, yeah. in humanity. And then, so just to kind of before bed as a palate cleanser, may dip their toe into the unicorn to be like, okay, I just need something else. And that they, she had, was saying that she has friends who said it has restored their hope in humanity. And Aww. I think that's, that made me feel so happy because it was so not the show I was kind of thinking or planning to do after my last job. And, and I, I felt this like little, you know, I do a lot of things on gut. I felt this like little voice that was saying, what if, what if it's just happier now? Like what if not like our lives are crazy, but what if, what if you play happier people? Like what if Mm -hmm. you play somebody who's not going through the hardest time of their entire life, you know? (laughs) Um, (laughs) And I love I love people who are in major transition. I mean, that was been such a draw for so many things that I've done, but I, I, I just felt like after four years of playing that of somebody who was going through such a metamorphosis of their psyche, what if I just went on a show and we made jokes and we were a group of friends and we just laugh off camera and we laugh on camera and we, ha- and 
and we have little dramas that really upset us because the truth is, as much as we can all put things into perspective and go, oh, well, their problems are so trite and stupid, when no matter what, no matter what is happening, if you're like, I can't find my keys, it's traumatic <laughs> for you. Yeah. So I, I know how to make those things. I know how to make these things that feel sort of slight more believable. What I like about this show, this particular sort of CBS comedy, is it doesn't, I'm going to sidestep for a second, because I'm always reminded of one time during um, when George W. Bush was president, we were in two wars, right, with Afghanistan and with Iraq. And they were both happening simultaneously. And I remember having a lot of anxiety about what's going to happen, what's going to happen. And I picked up this pilot, and one of the lines said, I have a date tonight. Should I wear my hair up or down? He's taking me for Italian. Up or down for Fusilli? Do I wear my hair up or down for Fusilli? And I chucked the script across the room and I was like, fuck you! Two wars! <laughs> Two wars! Two wars! <laughs> up or down for Fusilli? Fuck you! And, <laughs> and then something happened in between then, which was, uh, this is a lot of information that you didn't ask. Oh, but okay. I ended up in the hospital because I was taking care of a dog that was attacked by a coyote. And then um, the dog survived but was in fight or flight and then bit the crap out of my hands. Aww. And so my hands were um, really bit up by a dog oh that was, God. like, really um, in trauma. So the dog had to go get saved, and I didn't pay attention to my hands, and it turns out I was on the verge of a bone infection. <laughs> so oh I ended God. up in the hospital for three days. Oh, um, my God. Holy shit. Yeah. And I was really scared because they were talking about, like, if, you know, if this doesn't turn itself around, you could lose a finger, you could lose a hand. Blah, blah, blah. And so oh I, I was really scared. And the only thing I could do all night was watch sitcoms back to back. I watched How I Met Your Mother. I watched Steinfeld. I watched Friends. I watched all back to back all night long on one of the channels. And, um, and I was like, this is who this is for. Even though they, their problems feel small, I need this. Like, this yeah. was Xanax for me. I needed it so badly. And I thought, I, I'm going to do that. I'm going to, I get it now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. And and you said that you're, um, you're shooting now, which is great. How, how yeah. else have, what has your personal experience been like since March? Like, how much have you just been like indoors? Who are you quarantining with? How much are you able to work? Um, so I just want to quickly say that the dog that was attacked by a coyote is fully recovered. <laughs> so, Yay. Oh, and, and I apologize and for some, not asking. <laughs> no, no, no. I just, I, I know that I would be somebody who would hear that and be like, good God, what happened to the dog? Um, but, uh, and I'm fully recovered, but who cares? Anyway, <laughs> uh, as regarding quarantine, what I'm doing, going back to work, uh, I'm quarantined with my husband and my dog, my dog, Jeff, who's, um, man, a dog's love. Like, do we really need anything more beyond that? I don't know. Yeah, uh, I don't know how I just I'd, how I'd survive without my cat right now. Oh, mm-hmm. I mean, cat, cats, cats that you, like read our minds and everything, and um, and some dogs. My dog, I think. I don't think my dog's a dog. I'm not. I think my dog was actually a bouncer at a strip bar in a past <laughs> life, but that's a whole other story. He's very, he is very touchy. Like whenever men approach, he's always like, "May I help you?" <laughs> Can I help you? 
Um, but uh, yeah, so I, it's it's the three of us, uh, and um, I gotta say, like, thank God I married the right guy because I've just I'm I I I wouldn't want to do this with anybody else. I have enjoyed downtime. <laughs> I have enjoyed like just sitting in my room and playing with my toys, you know what I mean? And just picking up a guitar or whatever. I've cooked the best food of my life. I've been cooking boss ass yeah. food. So that's positive. Like, I mean, but you never would have known that you were capable of that. No, no, I would have never been like, let's make a trout. You <laughs> need a trout. A trout. Of all the fishes. You went for the trout. You sure you're not Jewish? <laughs> Was it smoked? <laughs> no, but I also really got into like canned uh, Norwegian fish. Oh, Dutch or like a Norwegian grocery store by the bank I have to go to now. Getting into the canned fish. <laughs> That's amazing. Is it because nobody's in the Norwegian Dutch grocery store? So you feel? I had just been like, oh, pickles. And then I started. Yeah, everything's an adventure now. Yeah, I'm like, oh. Is it like, is everything just pickled? Like pickled herring, pickled? Yeah, well, we got some, um, what is it? It's herring. It's mostly herring that we're getting. We got some herring and a cream sauce. There was a herring and a tomato sauce. Did not enjoy the jar of what is supposed to be a New Year's uh, tradition, herring wrapped around prunes. Ugh. No. <laughs> that, you tried I, it, girl. You went for the it. The prunes were great. Yeah. And the herring. That sounds like an enema. Yeah. It was together. It was, it was weird, but I separated the two and ate them with cream cheese. Oh, it's fine. <laughs> you know, that actually sounds really good. I always joke that I like old man food. Yeah, I mean, that like, totally I'm, sounds like old man food. I'm here yeah. for it. I have a jar of the, yeah. the herring and cream sauce in the kitchen right now. Just herring and cream sauce. <laughs> we'll find out. True culinary confessions. <laughs> okay, Michaela, one yes. of your highest profile gigs has been starring in the Hulu series Casual, which ran from 2015 to 2018. In that show, you play a newly divorced mother who takes custody of her teen daughter and for a while moves in with her brother who runs an online dating site. This trio of three single people who are all related and yet somehow keep getting entangled in each other's love lives, it's hilarious. It's so uncomfortable. <laughs> Nobody has any boundaries. And to make matters worse, your character is a therapist and should totally know better. It's <laughs> It's just a shit show. It's great. Um, I know that you were married just a couple of years before that show came out, and I was just curious about what it was like to be creatively exploring the horrors of online dating for four, for all these seasons while at home you were finally off the market. Were you like, thank fucking God? Like, what was that like? Yeah, I got off the market before I knew the, like, traps of the market. Because I remember I said to my husband, did you know that I, because I was talking to a friend who was doing the online dating and it was just, I mean, I think like hearing you describe that show, I can't believe that was ever a show that got greenlit. 
<laughs> because it just sounds so stupid. It sounds kind of stupid. <laughs> yes, I did not mean to make it sound no, stupid. It's no, quite no, intriguing. No, I, no you, you didn't. And the show is the furthest thing from stupid. The show is crazy smart, made by some of our, like the people I think are the, it's the most creative and, and, and most intelligent people I've met in this business. But to hear that log line, I'm like, that show, if I were hearing that now, I'd be like, pass, you know? <laughs> and, um, but it's such a... It, Not for nothing, but that's what I thought when I heard the premise of the unicorn. And then it is so good. I was like, oh, a show about a, a guy that's like, Everybody loves because he's a widower. Um, not for me. Yeah. And then I was like, "This is fucking great. Right. This is hilarious." <laughs> I know. I love. I really. You can't judge a show by its logline. Yeah. But uh, you just have to go by word of mouth, I guess. But I, I that show was such a, a beautiful, beautiful. It was a beautiful show. It was shot beautifully. It was I written beautifully. Um, I loved it too, and it was definitely the highlight of my whole career so thus far it just lit me up in every way but to answer your question about being newly sort of married off the dating scene off the market <laughs> and then you know so my, so when I, I got together with my husband we were pretty serious or maybe we just got married I said did you know that on these dating sites like you can cap like 45 year old men can cap the women they're going to meet at like 35 and he's like yeah and I go, I didn't know that. Cause I met my husband at, I just turned 39. I was like mm. just about to turn 39. So I was 38 about to turn 39. I go, I didn't know that you could cap, like these guys are doing it. This is before now women can do it too. So ha ha on you, but you know, women it, couldn't do it, it before it sort just of culturally. No, women could, but culturally women mm. sleeping, women sort right, of capping right. men, yeah. you know, 35 as a 45 year old woman was less because most women I know are would, like an, at that time would have liked an age appropriate. I'm talking yeah. totally heteronormative I like dating the, mindset. My age or older. I'm not trying. I like when somebody's already fixed them, they've done the work and I want to reap yeah. the benefits that some other woman sewed. So <laughs> I, I, I agree. Yeah. All these tasty tidbits in the news recently about Olivia Wilde and Harry Styles are making me think that, you know, it's <laughs> worth exploring. I'll just I say that. I, I was never attracted to younger men, but now that I have a lot of friends my age who are, have had these time th that are dating younger men, because in my mind, I think like, oh, like my nephew, he's a kid. Like, why would it, ugh. Um, not that I would obviously date my nephew, but like his age, when I think of, when I think of what he's into and what he's interested in, I'm like, I don't know, really? Am I going to like watch Marvel movies and just be like, can I buy you a steak? I mean, is that, is that what it would be like? I mean, I'll fuck around with younger men, but generally I, it's like what my friend Val said before she was like, you got to let someone fix it first and actually fix them because otherwise you're just like walking around on a playground, picking up somebody else's used ass baby blanket. <laughs> <laughs> and you put that. But I will down. say, I don't think the young dudes out there dating older women are like the guys when I was their age. I, 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 I'm trying to think like, did I have friends my age in my twenties that I thought would be a good 
match for a woman in her forties, you know? And I don't think I did, but I don't think the guys are like that anymore. I think they're Mm -hmm. way smarter and cooler and more evolved and more open and not, and not sexist and not ageist and not a lot of things, you know? So I, I, I have to say like, in terms of, you know, you brought up Olivia Wilde, but like bully for her, you know, and bully for every friend. I think that there's just so, there's just such a world that I didn't know. But, but my point is that at the time I couldn't believe that, that there was this cap on how like that men deigned to say, even though I'm at this age, I don't want to meet a woman this age. And I just thought that was the most disgusting thing ever. And then on the first episode of casual, this woman goes out, you know, on a blind date with this guy that her brother sets her up with on the dating site or whatever. And he talks about like how great it is to be divorced as a man at his age, he can date anybody he wants, any age. And it just was so, I just, my stomach was sinking and thinking, this is so, if I were going through heartbreak and I was going through a new divorce and I was just entering the scene and knowing that, you know, after all my life experience that I had to somehow compete physically with somebody who was whatever, you know, mm-hmm. how, or, or energetically, you know, <laughs> <laughs> like just like in, pretend to be excited about, oh, I know yeah. that I'm not excited about anymore because I've been there, done that, you know, I, I don't, cause we've, I, I spent too much of my life because things were different. Like I said, they're not like this now, but too much of my life laughing at really stupid dick jokes so that I would fit in with like guys. So did fans ever take a cue from the show's complete and utter lack of boundaries and just like tell you their business when, when they approached you on the street? Like, I feel like if I were knew you primarily from casual, I would just Mm -hmm. come up to you and be like, and then I did this. I wish people did it more. I love that. <laughs> I really do. Cause I hate small talk, you know? Uh-huh. So if somebody came up and was like, can I just tell you something? I met this guy at a hotel room. I really <laughs> thought it was going to be this one thing. It was this, I would be like, hold on, <laughs> waiter, more drinks. Because uh, <laughs> I just, I, 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 I love when people divulge about their lives to me. <laughs> I do too. Yeah. I, I don't have great boundaries either. You know, yeah. I'm, I'm glad that you brought up working with Joey Soloway um, because pop culturally, um, they're one of the more pivotal figures to me whose creative work I think became emblematic of the evolution of third wave feminism sort of into the more intersectional and gender binary busting fourth wave version of feminism that we are in the throes of today. Mm-hmm. You were in two of Joey's projects um, back when they were still known as Jill Soloway. Mm-hmm. And uh, first you were in the 2013 film Afternoon Delight, mm-hmm. which is about a suburban mom who is desperate to break out of her marital rut. And she strikes up a very complicated relationship with a sex worker. And then you were in six episodes of the groundbreaking Amazon series Transparent. That show ran from 2014 through 2019. It's about a trans woman named Mora who comes out late in life and whose transition has these ripple effects throughout her entire network of friends and family. When you were working with Joey on these projects, did you have a sense that you were part of a much larger movement that was fundamentally engaged in changing culture? Or was it just like 
a cool, fun gig to do? I first met Joey, and this is the thing about Joey, is that they blew my mind when I first met them because uh, when Joey... When I first met Joey, it was through what I thought was like a very powerful male writer. And uh, he was like, this is Joey. And uh, and was sort of offering Joey a job. And Joey just turned to him and started asking him like, well, I don't want that job. I want this job. And it was a better job. And saying, I want you to give me this title. And started actually making demands that um, that when Joey was going by she, I never knew any other people who did that. So now, so that was the first thing that sort of blew my mind. And then Joey turned to me and said, are you funny? And I said, <laughs> and I, said uh, I don't know. And Joey said, you're funny. I think you're my muse. And then... Proceeded to sort of use me for a few projects. So the first thing we did was a short film that ended up going to Sundance, and it was called um, Una Ora Por Favor, and it was um, it was wrong on purpose, but it was about uh, a woman who um, sort of pays one of the day workers at, outside of a. Um, the, one of the day laborers outside of a Home Depot uh, for companionship, for, for just oh. human companionship. And, um, but not physical companionship, but, but they end up having a connection. And the whole short film is just hilarious because it's just kind of, it's a whole life in a week, basically. Like they run the whole gamut of a huge relationship. And, you know, to the point that, that my character is speaking fluent Spanish, <laughs> just like the whole, it runs the whole gambit. And they're like the mother figure who's like playing th through her and messing up her head and realizing it's really about how our moms can kind of mess us up for love and things like that. Anyway, um, so I went to Sundance and then Joey came back and said, I'm coming back to Sundance with, with a feature and came back with Afternoon Delight and I did that. And Afternoon Delight was the whole experience of shooting Afternoon, the, the, the way that Joey grew between um, Unora and Afternoon Delight was astronomical. And I've worked with a lot of first time directors and I've seen that, you know, where there's like steps and this was astronomical. Like this whole other person had entered the room and was in command. You know, the, the short film, they were scared. And then on Afternoon Delight, they were in charge, but in the most unorthodox, odd way. Like I, 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 I just couldn't believe how we were shooting this and how, we were, how everything was being communicated. And then when they got transparent, it was on full display. So, you know basically telling all the camera people to shoot from their vagina, <laughs> you know, and that, that there was no, there was no uh, action. There was no cut. There was just, they felt like those words were such violent male filmmaking words. And that, that verbiage was started by men in this business who've been doing this for so long and had taken it over. And that was losing all that verbiage and making, film 
the way that they wanted to. And so, you know, we would be the kind of thing where you didn't know if we had started or not, but you would be so deep in an improv and all of a sudden you see there's a camera in your face and you realize they've been filming this Mm. the whole time. And they also were not, this is very rare for a lot of writers at the time, didn't care about, their writing was a roadmap. It wasn't meant for you to um, follow word for word, literally. Like I've been stopped because I didn't put a comma where, or like I said, don't instead of do not, you know, please say do not. Mm-hmm. This was like, throw out all my words. You, you know where you're going, just throw out all the words because what they wanted was honesty. What they wanted was an experience. What they wanted were these dramatic beats and didn't have ego around my words, my text, my, and, and that's not to say that, that that's bad. Cause there are some writers who are so meticulous about their words that it really does. And I mean, casual was a place where I didn't improvise and very much at all, if, if ever, I mean, every once in a while, you know, a little button or something here or there that would make it in. But, um, you know, it was usually more physical or facial or everything like that. But, 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 but Jason Reitman on casual was like, say each word that Xander wrote, because the beauty of the script is how, um, sort of, uh, minimum, like minimalistic it is. It's not a wordy, Mm -hmm. it's not a wordy character, you know, it's not a wordy script. So we want to let those, the empty spaces be there. And I understand that. I think that I, if I were doing succession, I would want to say every single word, you know, uh, mm-hmm. that, they, yeah. that they wrote because that kind of thing. So, uh, yeah. So anyway, it was just, it was just, I've never seen anybody honor a, a crew. I've never seen such a, the way that Joey does. I never saw such a diverse crew before and such an intention and, and, and really walking the talk, uh, like Joey. And I think a lot of people followed in their footsteps, but I, I, Yeah. Yeah. So, so when your question is, did I know that I was working with somebody who was going to be so transformative for the medium? I guess I would say, yeah, I had a feeling. <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> um, can you shed any light for me on what it was actually like to be a woman on Saturday Night Live? I feel like that show has been both exhaustively documented and it still seems shrouded in mystery because mm-hmm. everyone in show business apparently is afraid of Lorne Michaels. And so like anytime <laughs> anybody's asked about it, there's like this double talk infinity loop. And depending on the year and who is being asked and when they were on the show, the atmosphere sounds like either a total frat house nightmare mm-hmm. or a place where women are valued and respected or a place where women were constantly in competition with each other or a place where women really supported each other. Mm-hmm. Can you tell me anything that would shed light on this now that it's been 12 years since you left and you have some critical distance? Yeah. I mean, I've never really shied away from talking about it. I don't know that my perspective has really even changed about it because to, to really talk about SNL in a, in a truthful, honest way, you have to be able to hold two realities at the same time. And mm-hmm. one is that it was the most exciting year. <laughs> it was moments where I just had to constantly be pinching myself because I couldn't believe this was my life. And while, while 
you felt like you were on the most important thing that was happening in the pop culture zeitgeist, you were also simultaneously kind of, I don't know, I'm, I can assume somewhat maybe purposely meant to feel like you, you had absolutely no value. <laughs> <and> <laughs> don't mean anything in it. <laughs> so like you had, you were whole, constantly bouncing between these two things, these two realities where, and, it, and so you were just filling up and deflating and filling up and deflating. And as a woman, you know how I was sort of saying earlier, it's funny, I never even made this connection before, but I guess it's just like huzzah, sexism, <laughs> like inequality is, goes across all the boards. But like, while it's in a Shakespeare show, you know, you play, you've got, you know, this overwhelming amount of male characters. For whatever reason, when I was at SNL, there was 75% male cast and like a mm -hmm. few, just a, like a small handful of women when I was there. I don't know if that's the case now or how, it, how it's been. But I was like, it's interesting how there's like 12, 13 men, revolving men in everything. And there's like four women. <laughs> mm -hmm. But I didn't <clears throat> say that out loud because you're also scared while you're there. You're... The problem was for me is that I got hired. I don't know if they knew how old I was, but I was like 37 when they hired me. And that's usually when people are, are graduating off the show not when they're starting the show. And um, so a lot of that kind of mentality of, you know, know your place, mm. that kind of thing, I, I felt like my personal evolution, I kind of worked through all that bullshit. <laughs> yeah, like you're not an so, intern when you're 37. Yeah, I... You know, and I, I, I am humble. Like I knew I had, I have so much to learn and I know that I have there, I'm surrounded by brilliant people who do what I want to do way better than me in a lot of cases. So it wasn't uh, a case of like, I, there was not a diva mentality. It was just, uh, there were just arbitrary um, cultural rules there that just made no fucking sense to me that I was, mm -hmm. you know, where there was like a hierarchy there that I just don't subscribe to because I just think that's that that's like that's not being enforced by the cast. It's being enforced from the higher ups. So, you know, this idea of like you're a new cast member, that's great. But I've never been on a play where we shit all over the new cast members. You know what I mean? I've never been on a show where you neg the new cast members. I've never been in a in the groundlings, you know, where you just crap all over the new groundlings. Like it's just your family, you're all, everybody's equal. It's all one, one for all, all for one. Hurrah. You know, I got clothes at a barn. Let's put on a show kind of mentality. So I, I just, I just thought some of that stuff was so janky and weird, but I didn't ever deign to say it or anything or express it. I just kind of internalized all that, like just watching things being like, Oh, okay. <laughs> Guess we're yeah. doing it this way. So, um, but, but like I said, then my favorite band in the whole world will come on and play, you know, and then, and I'm just alone in a room watching them sound check. And then. Are you thinking of a specific band? What band? Well, I was thinking of Wilco, which came actually right uh, before I, I got there, but I was like that, those kinds of things would happen, you know, mm -hmm. like, uh, my very first day where I hadn't slept for three days because, or two days, I guess at that point, because I had 
found out one night, was on a plane the next morning, was up writing the next night, then like oh starting God. rehearsal the next morning. But I hadn't slept at all. Like there was just no, it wasn't, it was very strange. It was like how they treat terrorists <laughs> when they want them to confess. Um, and, but I was so excited. I mean, I, come on, I was so excited. Like this ship should have sailed and it didn't. So, uh, but I was just thrown in the sketch with Beyonce and Justin Timberlake. And I'm like, I, I hadn't, I didn't know what was happening. I didn't know. And there's this like, just start powdering her face here in this. And it was like, this all the single ladies, like sort of sketch where, and I was like, uh, hi, that's Justin Timberlake. And, um, <laughs> what? I'm a waitress. Like I'm a waitress. Like I, I still wait tables and now this is happening. It was just so, it was huge. You know, it was huge for me. You know, I know, I know that it wasn't your choice to leave after one season and I can only speak for myself as a viewer. I was really disappointed like that, like you say, especially at that time that you were on the show, like there was so, there were so few women right. on the show and you were mm. so funny to me. Oh, and I felt like you. they really took something away from the show and from me personally <laughs> um, when you weren't back. And like, I don't know like what the politics were, or the decision making over there, but I've always thought that 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 was fuckery. And I'm glad that yeah. I finally have the chance to say it to your face. I love hearing that. And thank you so much. Um, I, I, to this day, nobody has ever said to me, this is what I heard, or this is what I know, or, Hey, you know, and I've gone back, you know, my friend Mikey Day is on the show and I've gone to go support him and watch the show from his dressing room. And, and that was, you know, sweet. And I went to the after party and I, I felt a little like I outgrew some stuff when I was there. And I really, when I went back like eight years later, I really started to feel like, wow, I really, it's, it's, it's such a um, important part of our comedic history and in, in, in our TV history and in and, and our political history. I mean, I really, I really genuinely think Tina Fey had something to do with swaying the election in 2008, yeah. because I, I really think that it, through comedy, she could really target and highlight how sort of absurd the things that were coming out of Palin's mouth was, you know, mm -hmm. when you hear it said back to you as Tina Fey. And, and I think she's just, just such a smart comedian. I have such adoration for so many people. I have incredible respect for Lorne Michaels um, because Look what he's done. You know, his yeah. legacy is massive. So I have incredible, incredible respect for him. I don't know that, um, like, I don't adore him and I don't fear him like a, a lot of people who have worked with him, but I have respect for him. I would like to know, Michaela Watkins, are you a feminist? I would say yes. Great. <laughs> how, how has feminism impacted your career or vice versa? I thought it was a trick question. Not, <laughs> You're going to be like, well, are you a feminist? Because in 2012, you tweeted. Um, <laughs> nope. I asked because Rust is a feminist magazine and we like to know. Um, oh, how I, don't, I don't understand what, what not being like, no, I'm not a feminist. And what the fuck are you? Like, Oh, we get it. We get it sometimes, though. <laughs> we have had no's. Yeah. Well, you know that feminism, the word feminism has a PR issue and some people are 
I know, but that's you know, there's from, semantic issues. Wow, but that's just really that's really just to say you're not, not a feminist a, is the most patriarchal thing you could possibly ever say. How has feminism impacted your career or vice versa? Uh I mean, I've reaped so many benefits off of working with incredible women and giving first-time female directors all of my all of my uh, my trust. I give my I give my trust to first-time female directors in a way that I um, have a lot of other directors because they're, by the time the women I know in our business get the gumption up to finally do something, it's because they've really thought long and hard about it and have been really chipping away at it and really thinking about it and eat, sleep, and breathing it and don't take it for granted and know how hard it is and want to be good at it. And so work so much harder than so many other people, I would say. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I would say as in terms of women who have been cutting cloth in, in our business, I have really, by writing those cloth tales, have, have, it's what moved me from having just done SNL and going back on unemployment to <laughs> forging a, a life in indie film and uh, television. I have one final question for you. And that is a question that I ask all of our guests on this show. And that question is what you watching. It is a broad question that encompasses mm-hmm. books, movies, television, music, music videos, podcasts. If you are consuming it pop culturally we want to know about it. Michaela Watkins, what you watch it. Okay. So I just finished The Flight Attendant, which I thought was super duper Loved fun. Loved it. You did? Good. Oh, yeah. We just um, had, um, what? Um, what's her name? We just had Michelle Gomez on to talk about it. Oh, oh, great. Um, that's wonderful. And what did she tell you? No, uh, I'll go listen. <laughs> okay. Uh, and... Um, <laughs> And uh, I'm, you know what I just started watching this weekend as South from an insurrection was is a back to back episodes of Sex in the City. Oh my god! Oh. I just did that too at request of my husband. Really? He, he's been trying to get me to rewatch Sex in the City for like months now, and finally I was like, "All right, we're running out. Let's do Sex in the City." I love it. I love that show very much. I just binged all of Insecure, uh, and I love it. I think I, I think that was the Sex in the City I was needing until there's another Sex in the City. <laughs> I love that show because it is. It's about friendship. It's not about relationships. Yep. It's about friendship. So that's what you've been watching, Michaela. I'm so happy to have finally had this opportunity to speak with you after enjoying your work for so long. Oh, thank you. It's been thank really nice so talking much. to you both. Callie, you and I are going to take the briefest of breaks. And when I come back, I'm going to ask you, and hopefully you will ask me, what, what you watching? Before we get back to the show, I want to tell you about our new sponsor, Wolfie Vibes Publicity. If you're working on a new project and find yourself in need of a kick-ass publicist who communicates well and works tirelessly to get you the coverage you're after, consider going to Wolfie Vibes Publicity. 
Wolfie Vibes Publicity is a female-owned and operated boutique PR firm that will get you where you need to be, and you'll even have fun in the process. Get in touch via wolfievibespublicity.com for details and quotes, and tell them that Pop-Tart sent you. Essentially, I started it because every female comedian I know was amazing and hardworking and hilarious, and I knew would make great podcasts, and every male comedian I know already had a podcast and was doing their own thing. Hi, I'm Kate Moldenhauer, the founder of More Banana Podcasts, a comedy podcast network entirely produced, hosted, and led by women. We have shows about politics. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Let's Get Civical. When the Supreme Court puts stuff on their calendar, they use the word docket. So their Google calendar is a docket. Is a docket. So technically, I have a docket. You have a docket. We all have docket. We all have a docket. Sex. Welcome to my vagina. I'm Jesse Karen. This is Rebecca Frank. What were ancient Greek dildos made of, Jesse? They were made of padded leather and, yep, anointed with olive oil. Yep. <laughs> Scams. I'm Caitlin I'm Smith. Smith. <laughs> and, and we, we love, love scams. scams. She tells them she's a German-Russian heiress, and she seems like she has a lot of money, and people buy it. That's yeah. basically what's happening. So as soon as she got a loan, she would cash it as much as she could out before anybody caught on. Amazing. So smart. I mean, so smart. I mean, it's terrible, but like to take that money out immediately. Because women are actually pretty versatile and funny. More Banana is a network of women's voices, unfiltered and uninterrupted. Find us everywhere you get your podcasts and learn about our growing roster of shows at morebanana.com. We're back. Hello. Hello. <laughs> Callie, we just talked to Michaela Watkins. Yes. Yes, we did. What a nice lady. I love it. I loved it. I loved it. And now, Callie, I want to know and I need to know and I simply must know what you're watching. Well, well, well. Um, I saw, oh, well, the inauguration has happened. Yeah. Thank goodness. Right. So that was awesome. So there was mm-hmm. memes. There was fashion. There was mm-hmm. the end of Trump. <laughs> there was that was it was all great. I loved that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I watched Promising Young Woman. Oh, you did? Did you rent it or whatever? Yeah. Well, me and uh, a friend teamed up on it. Oh, good. And and it was. Well, Debbie loved it, loved it, loved it. So I had high, high, high expectations. Not that it's a bad movie at all. It's a great movie. Um, I would have liked more revenge. (laughs) (laughs) Revenge. Yeah. So it's, you know, it's Carrie Mulligan. She plays a a med school dropout who's seeking vengeance for her friend who was raped. And I presumably think she died of suicide. I I don't know if they ever exactly say that. And she goes to different clubs every weekend and pretends to be shit-faced and then fucks with the dudes. Um, But I wanted more fuckery. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Okay. And then there was also the end is is a swerve. Okay. I I liked the end, but I was not expecting the end. But Well, that's why it's a swerve. It was a swerve. But it was definitely worth watching. I would not say otherwise, but, you know, I like my gory, gore, gore. Gore. <laughs> um, You're a gore, gore girl. Yeah, I'm a gore, gore girl. Then I watched the show Dare Me on Netflix, mm-hmm. which is like a cheerleading coach. She's a new coach at the school, and they're trying to go to like whatever 
the cheerleading Olympics are. <laughs> sports. Cheerleading Olympics. And she's having an affair. And then there's a matter. And it's like, it. I was really into it. And one of the characters kind of looks like Aaliyah, which I liked. And then, so there's like lots of super bitchy competitiveness, but also like friendship and matter. I liked okay. it. I was into it. Then um, I've I've been listening to this podcast, but only one episode of Dead Man of Whiskey. Uh, Christian Dietrich's my bestie. He's got a new. He's doing um, this podcast with this girl, Amy Faulkner, um, and he's there was a different host last year, so he's the the host for season two. It was really funny. It's all about the history of whiskey. This particular one was Jack Daniels, and there was some. Some part where they were talking about the first amphibious vehicle. <laughs> and I had to find, he was like, if anybody can send us this, I don't know what it is. I found a mental floss article about it. And the first one was like 120 years ago. And it's insane. It looks like sort of a tandem bike, but instead of the back person's seat, it's a whole ass boat. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah, it was wild. It was really crazy looking. So, Dadman of Whiskey, wherever you watch your podcasts. Um, wherever you watch them. Yeah, wherever you're watching them. <laughs> what you watching on them. Um, and then I've been doing a little palate cleansing with some cartoons, some old cartoons. I watched Land Before Time. That's on Pluto. Oh, that's a throwback. And then I lost, watched The Last Unicorn. Mm. I forgot about that witch in there. That was just so fucking awesome. And then I watched Watership Down on HBO. That was very scary to me as a child. It is still scary to me as an adult. And I forgot how great the backgrounds are because everything's like amazing watercolor paintings because it's like that old, old 80s animation, you know? Mm Mm-hmm. It was great. And that's what I've been watching. What have you been watching? I'm glad you asked because what I've been watching has been great. Like, not just good, but great. I've been watching full-on feature films and loving it. And the first one is actually, I was so surprised because I felt like at this ripe old age that I am currently, that if if there were movies that were really, really good, even if I haven't seen them already, I probably know that they exist and that I should watch them. But this was a really, really good movie that I did not even know existed until our producer luscious logan pulled it up for me on youtube and was like i want you to watch this movie and it was so good it blew my mind like i just as as soon as it was over i wanted to watch it all over again it's called no such thing have you ever heard of this movie no no such thing no it's called no such thing and it's it takes place half in America and half in Iceland. Mm. And it was written and directed and produced by Hal Hartley, whose work I enjoy. But I did not even know that he made this movie. It's from 2001. What would I know Hal Hartley from? What other things has he done? The, I, I know him from Henry Fool and Amateur. He also has these movies, uh, The Unbelievable Truth, Trust, Simple Men, have you seen any of these? Movies? None of them. None of them at all. All right. Well, he's, you know, he's one of these auteurs. He is a director and a screenwriter and a producer. And he like, you know, the whole, every film is like, he's an art film guy and everything ah. is his full vision type thing. Um, so this movie was so weird and amazing. And so it was, it was, took place half in the United States and half in Iceland. 
and it starred mostly really amazing women. It starred Sarah Polly. Uh-huh. And so this was Sarah Polly, you know, 20 years ago, because it's 2001 movie. And she was like, she looked like a little girl. Like she literally looked like a child, but she was playing an adult who was a journalist in New York city. And she had the, this insane, like bloodthirsty boss at, um, the publication that she worked at. And I couldn't really tell if it was like a tell, if it was like a television news station or a a newspaper, it sort of was like a media conglomerate run by Helen Mirren. Ooh. And Helen Mirren was killing it. She was just being the worst boss. She was being amazing. And anyway, so Sarah Polly, Sarah Polly's character, she has a fiance who goes on, on an assignment in Iceland and is never seen again. And she um, wants to find him. So she goes there to find out what happened to him and discovers that he was killed by a monster. Oh. And when I say monster, I mean like like literally a monster. <laughs> like he was a guy. Like he, he talks and walks and communicates. But he's like has horns and like shaggy fur and is a monster in Iceland. And so um, the, the movie is like kind of like Beowulf and kind of like Beauty and the Beast, but it's also very sort of like postmodern and cynical, um, but also very sweet. So like she befriends this monster that killed her fiance and he basically um, wants to die because he's this eternal monster and he's tired of being eternal. The world is just boring and stupid and he's over it and he wants to die, but he can't cause he's an eternal monster. And so Sarah Polly agrees to help him and she brings him from Iceland to New York city and they become media sensations. And I loved it. And I recommend it. It's called no such thing. And Lutcha Logan found it on YouTube. Now, the next movie I saw, I have seen many times before, but not in a while. And it just astonishes me how amazing it is every time I see it. And that is Desperately Seeking Susan. Love that movie. I saw that it was on HBO Max and I was like, jackpot. I love that movie. It is so beautiful and so amazing. And it takes place in my neighborhood, but back when my neighborhood was still cool in 1985. (laughs) Um, For anybody who hasn't seen it, it was Madonna's first big movie. And it was directed by this amazing woman named Susan Seidelman. And it starred Madonna and Rosanna Arquette. And um, basically Rosanna Arquette is a bored New Jersey housewife. And she becomes obsessed with Madonna and wants to um, do everything that Madonna does. She like follows her around and then Madonna's not playing herself though, just to be clear. Madonna's not playing herself, but she kind of is. No, but I mean like, it's not like she's not a a superstar. It's not a documentary. No, Madonna's just plays like um, a homeless um, sort of. She, she plays a grifter basically. Yeah. I love when she's washing her armpits in the. In Port Authority. (laughs) So even as like a homeless grifter who has to wash her armpits in Port Authority, Madonna is so cool that Rosanna Arquette just wants to be like her. And at some point she gets conked on the head and loses her memory. (laughs) And like the whole like mistaken identity wackiness ensues because Rosanna Arquette has been running around dressed up 
like Madonna, but she doesn't actually remember who she is. And so people think that she's her. And it's so beautiful and funny and sweet and weird, so deeply weird. And I loved well, it. Somebody is trying to like, ch- someone's chasing the Madonna character the whole time. Mm-hmm. Right. There's a lot of people who are desperately seeking Susan. Madonna is Susan. Yeah. She is and the she's titular in some, Susan. In some shady business. And some she shady business the best involving jacket some... in the world, which our boss Debbie Stoller has a. Uh, Does she have one? Yeah, she has one. I don't think she's and in the movie. The 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 jacket was sold and bought at Love Saves the Day, which used to be done. Oh, with, I loved that in place. my neighborhood on Second Avenue. R.I.P. Love Saves the Day. Anyway, so I love that movie. And then another movie that I love, love, loved from the same era that I watched again, that I actually rented on Amazon Prime, is Mystery Train, which is a 1989 movie by Jim Jarmusch. It's an anthology film. It's set in Memphis, Tennessee. And it's like three different stories that involve three um, different um, sort of groupings of people from other lands who are visiting Memphis for their own reasons and who end up in this like shady rundown hotel all on the same night. Um, and the, the person who runs the hotel, the guy who plays the night clerk at the hotel is played by screaming Jay Hawkins. Oh my gosh. I love that. So, so good. It's so good. And like through in each, you can sort of like tell chronologically how the different stories overlap because at the same point, in the night, they play Elvis singing Blue Moon on the radio, and then there's a gunshot. And then you, like, sort of find out. It's like, oh, okay, that was happening while that was happening while that was happening. But oh, there's- that sounds cool. Nice. So those are the amazing three films that I watched since last we spoke. And the last thing I've been watching is the majestic, wondrous, unbeatable Pop-Tarts Patreon page, um, which is my effort and your effort, Callie, to keep Bust alive as an entity in this world. We need everyone's help to keep Bust going as a feminist enterprise. And one of the ways that we're doing that is by putting together goodies that hopefully you will want to purchase by being our sponsors over at patreon.com slash Podcast. Here are some of the things that we have there that you can buy with a membership. Callie and I have put together show notes exclusively for Patreon donors that include links to what everyone has been watching for all 101 episodes of the Pop-Tarts podcast. We've got totally ad-free episodes available. There's exclusive content. There is uh, options where you can get us to Zoom chat with you, whatever you want. Well, just one time, but one time at your choosing, <laughs> you could get a package of goodies from us from Bust. There are so you could get personalized thank you notes. There's so many things that we have assembled there on patreon.com slash Pop-Tarts podcast in the hopes that you will give us a little monthly donation in exchange for this podcast that we make for you. Um, so please check it out. We would appreciate it. Speaking of appreciation, 
I would like to say thanks to our luscious producer and sound engineer, Logan Del Fuego, who is producing this on his birthday. Happy birthday! Muy caliente, Logan, and happy birthday. And our girl gang at Bust Magazine. You can find me on Twitter at Emily Rems and on Instagram at Rems Emily, but you can't find Callie, so don't even try, right? Right. But you can email us both. I'm at Emily Rems at Bust.com. Callie W at Bust.com. And you can learn more about this show at Bust.com slash Pop-Tarts. And finally, please rate and review this podcast on Apple Podcasts. It really helps us get the word out, and we super-duper appreciate it. Until next time. The world is just boring and stupid, and he's over it, and he wants to die, but he can't because he's an eternal monster. Happy birthday! The world is just boring and stupid, and he's over it, and he wants to die, but he can't because he's an eternal monster. Happy birthday!